0: Welcome to the Like, Bite, and Share podcast, brought to you by Schweid & Sons. Learn the secrets of food and hospitality marketing from some of the best professionals in the food business. Here are your co-hosts, Rev Ciancio from Schweid & Sons and Brad Garoon from BurgerWeekly.com.
1: Hey, Rev. How are, you, buddy? How are you? I'm tired. This is a rare Saturday recording of the podcast, so I'm a little bit off beat, off step, not offbeat, beat, off step, so I apologize in advance if this uh, is not a great episode. I'm sure it'll be great.
0: Fake it till you make it, buddy. That's how we got here.
1: Yeah, I'll just open my eyes a little bit wider. Tell me about your burger life.
0: Uh, I want to talk about hamburgers today as okay. they relate to the guest we're going to have on our show. All right. You're allowed. So, <laughs> thanks. I appreciate that. So today on the show, we have George Motes. We'll get into a little bit more about George, other than he is the world's leading hamburger expert. But I want to talk about one of my favorite burger experiences that I've ever had with George. So this man will go to no end to eat a burger, especially if it's like a classic old school burger. Now, I'm assuming you've had burgers with George, right?
1: I've had a burger with George.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's so robotic. You I'm sorry. I told you I was tired. We gotta get some coffee. I don't well, drink I was- that stuff. I was in, well, that's a whole other podcast. I was in Chicago with George. He looks at me and he's like, give an hour. And I was like, uh, yes. He's like, let's go, let's go. And we get into George's car and we drive an hour to like the very south side of Chicago to eat at this place called Top Notch. And he can't stop talking about it the whole time. You know, the place has been around for seven decades and they, you know, they grind their own um, round steaks in the house, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, so what's so special about it? He's like, well, it's a patty and they got like a white bun and some cheese. And I'm like, nah, you know, we just ate at Kuma's Corner the day before where there was like 74 crazy toppings on it or whatever. I can tell you, Brad, the burger was phenomenal. Phenomenal. Simple too. It was ground beef, toasted bun, cheese, raw onions, lettuce, tomatoes, and mayo. That was it. And it was amazing. That's cool. It made me – not that I didn't appreciate George and what he does and his passion for hamburgers, but like it cemented – what it is that I appreciate about it. and he just he is passionate about hamburgers, man.
1: The first time I had a burger with George was at Keene's Steakhouse and you were there with me and I can't talk about most of what happened that night or what was said that night, but what I can talk about was I took a photo of George staring at his burger. And it's it's one of the better photos I've taken. Definitely better than any of the photos I took of hamburgers that night. I
0: agree. definitely
1: better than the burger that night. That burger was not amazing.
0: But that was a fun, fun, fun night, and George we is did. a fun, fun dude.
1: Yeah, so let's talk to him.
0: Welcome, George Moats, to the podcast today. George is a filmmaker, photographer, author, a food fanatic, and the only two-time judge for the Schweizer Sons Very Best Burger Award at the South Beach Wine and Food Festival Burger Bash. Uh, he's made many food films, including Hamburger America, his documentary about eight classic American burger joints around the country, Uh, That film launched a book of the same name, the Food Film Festival, and eventually led George to becoming the world's leading hamburger expert and uh, the host of Travel Channel's Burgerland. George now has a brand new book out called The Great American Burger Book, How to Make Authentic Regional Hamburgers at Home. George, what is the secret to having a career in the food business without ever having a quote-unquote
2: job? Well, I do have a job, but I would say actually having a second job. (laughs) Having a place to actually make make a little bit of money on, on the side, but uh, without a doubt, I just not taking too not taking everything too seriously, not taking yourself too seriously is a big part of it.
1: So if you had to make a rough guess, how many burgers do you think you've eaten?
2: You know, as time goes on, I eat more burgers, so it's hard to tell. There's actually, it's a sliding scale; it goes up every day. I mean, I've had I probably had just this week alone, probably had about sixteen burgers this week. Um, yeah, so it's it's I eat a lot. I mean, probably uh, we we did some math a while ago, and it t- came out to about. 12,000 burgers in the last 15 years.
0: So I have two follow-up questions here, George. First of all, what did you do this week that you had 16 burgers?
2: Well, I, uh, I did a few things. I mean, every I probably eat burgers every day. Um, I, uh, had, I had a party at my house a few days ago where I made burgers for a big group for a benefit, and I ate four of those burgers. They were sliders, but I ate four of them. Uh, I went to another event at Fleischer's Butchery yesterday where I ate uh, a double and a single. Uh, it was actually from beef that we ground right there in the butchery and then went, to the, went over to the grill and cooked them. Um, yes, yeah, so I've, I've, I mean, I've also invited a friend over the other night for burgers, and we made burgers, yeah. <laughs> so I, I've eaten a lot of burgers this week.
0: How do you come up with the number 12,000? Like, what's the formula? Do you take it by a number of days? Like, how do you come up with that?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I looked at the years, uh, about 360, 365 days a year. Um, and I probably, on average, eat about, you know, maybe, I figure probably about a thousand burgers in a year, uh, roughly, maybe 750. Um, you know, you actually, you eat more than you think you do, which is funny. You start doing the math and start looking at your Instagram feed and you realize, yeah, I've eaten a lot of burgers.
1: So I get asked this question a lot, and I know for a fact that I don't eat even a fraction of the amount of burgers as you do. How You're not a, a fat man. How do you keep that from happening?
2: Well, I eat good burgers, and I also don't eat French fries, which is a big part of it. People forget that, you know. Hey, if you want to want to put on the pounds, have two burgers, not one. Don't have cal- and don't have uh, French fries. You
0: know, my doctor said to me once, Rev, I don't think hamburgers are your problem, because it might be the French fries and all the beer. And I said, I think I need a new doctor.
2: There's <laughs> no question about it. That French fries and beer will put weight on you, and hamburgers, I don't think will. I mean, hamburgers. I'll keep in mind also. I eat a lot of really good hamburgers. I don't eat a lot of crap. You know, I think if you eat a lot of crap burgers and you put lots of crappy toppings on it, sure, you're gonna you're gonna get fat. You're gonna gain weight. Uh, also, I think that I've been sort of uh, somewhat uh, genetically blessed and spared, where I have very I have low cholesterol. I've actually very normal cholesterol, uh, not particularly low, but definitely not high at all. Uh, which, of course, could change later on in life. But I'm trying to get that in now before that changes.
0: You know what I learned this morning? That in Japan they have two different words for the, uh, two different words for hamburger. And one refers to like a high-quality, nice, fresh hamburger, and the other refers to what they would call a McDonald's burger. So you
2: do not eat the second one. No, I do not. I mean, I do not. I stay away from crap. You know, I mean, to me, it's my job is to, is to I always felt it's my job is to find the great burgers out there, the great burger experiences. People's, people people going to go out there and obviously have great burgers and have a great time.
1: So what makes the greatest burger?
2: Without a doubt, number one criteria is fresh ground beef, which sounds, well, that's easy, but most people do not go... I mean, most people will actually try to get there, and then they'll they'll back out. Uh, they'll, they'll cite, oh, the cost, or they'll cite, oh, the uh, it's, it's hard to store this stuff. Um, but the reality is that it's, it's just getting easier and easier these days to find fresh ground beef, store it correctly, and make great burgers. It really is the number one criteria for making a great burger.
0: People don't understand what that means. They're like, oh, I got it from the butcher. He ground it this morning, or... I got it from the grocery store, and it was, you know, looks like they ground in the back. But the real question is, how old is the meat? And I think people don't think about asking
2: that. Right. And someone like me, I can tell if it's old beef when I taste it. <laughs> Nothing like the taste of, you know, beef that's been in a refrigerator for, for a couple of, couple of days. It does have a very different taste.
0: George, what, uh, what inspired you to make the Hamburger America film and then the book that followed?
2: It was completely an accident. I was actually uh, looking for a subject. Trying to find something to do with my time because I was shooting a lot of TV commercials at the time uh, direct, as a director of photography and a director uh, shooting toilet paper commercials and you know like kitty litter ads and I said you know I've got to do something different uh, just for fun I decided to shoot a, a food a food documentary called Hamburger America. Some I know somebody had done a a documentary about hot dogs and I said well I wonder who's done hamburgers and nobody had so I jumped in and just based on my travels and knowledge I became known as a hamburger expert but I never gave myself that title the media gave me that title you guys gave me that title
1: yeah i'm okay with that so,
2: <laughs> so <laughs> it, it sounds <laughs>
1: like making the movie was very much you know a part of what you were doing already you know you were in that in that industry so how difficult was it to transition to being a writer
2: Oh, that's interesting. Um, it was very difficult, uh, but I actually had it in me. I didn't realize, and it was a good friend of mine. Ed Levine was the one who taught me or gave me some pretty uh, pretty incredible advice way back when. He said to me, just write the way you converse. Have a conversation with yourself, and that's your writing. If you can have a conversation, you can write a book, and that was it.
0: Wow, I guess I could be writing a lot of books, or we could turn this podcast into a book, you know what I mean?
2: <laughs> but then he also said, don't, don't take yourself too seriously, you know, just have a conversation with yourself about hamburgers and see what happens and people I think overthink writing, and they can't get it out and they've they've struggled with writer's block, but you know I just sit down and start to think about how would i how would I, what would I want someone else to know about this experience and when I write, I talk about every detailed experience, what it's like to walk in the door, what it's like to pick up a plate, what it's like to actually order this cheese or that cheese, and what it's like to meet this guy who could potentially you know, kick your ass if you don't order the burger correctly.
1: It's uh, This is sort of neither here nor there, but it's it's related to, to books and your reputation as a hamburger expert. But I was on the job the other day reading Josh Ozersky's book, Hamburger, and your name popped up in there. And I was like, oh, we're talking to George in a couple of days, and here he is in my
2: bathroom. <laughs> here, he, here I was in your bathroom. <laughs> it's a great tome, that's for sure, for a guy that we miss, for sure. And, uh, yeah, it's, I And he... He wrote a great book about the hamburger. He did write it in, in a flowery tone that sometimes I have to, you know, refer to the, the thesaurus and the dictionary on. But it's a good book.
0: Well, I don't think Josh was uh, short on adjectives or uh, <laughs> descriptors.
2: <laughs> no question. But he also liked my book a lot. He used to talk about my book publicly often and say that it was on his bedstand, stand, on his nightstand, and he would read it before he went to bed every night. That's
1: really nice. So, but well, you got a new book out. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what inspired you to write the great American burger book?
2: Yeah, it's funny. People were asking me about these uh, recipes all over the country, and I would say, well, a lot of them are secrets. And I realized, you know what? A lot of them actually aren't secrets. They're just methods that people have been doing for a 100 years. So I went to, I, you know, I sought those. Um, the, I looked at the recipes, looked at the burgers that are being made, and tried to break down the methods. And some of them were very simple, like the poached burger, for example. So this burger that's actually poached in... Um, uh, in Wisconsin, it's literally cooked in a, like a small bath of of hot water. That's been uh, obviously been. Uh, it's, it's there's a big pile of onions sitting in the middle of the bath that actually flavors the uh, the burgers. Um, and it's a very simple method. And you can see the method from when you look into the window of the hamburger stand. It's right there. There are no secrets at all. So I looked at all these methods that were that were like specifically regional, and I decided that I had to you know tell the the world about this. This made a lot of sense to make a book about it.
0: Was there, was there a regional burger that you discovered along the way of writing this book, or one that you kind of knew about uh, that went from being something you kind of liked to something you now love?
2: <laughs> you know, um, I'm a huge fan of the uh, the onion fried burger, the fried onion burger of Oklahoma, uh, because the method is so simple. You're just taking sweet Vidalia onions, and you're very thin sliced onions, and you're smashing them into a ball of beef on a hot flat top, and you basically it becomes this very simple mess of beef and beef and onion um, uh, that is hard to beat in some cases. I mean, people load up burgers with a lot of crap on it and put toppings on it, and then it becomes this big sandwich in a way with where the you know the overriding flavor is nothing. It's one big mess of of ingredients. But with the onion fried burger, all you're really tasting is the, the beef grease with, and the beef and the onion. Um, so that was that was a great one. I love being able to return to that one because it really is the it was a way that in America, and in, in the, uh, the during the uh, Depression and uh, the very beginning of hamburgers in the, in the, uh, you know, the turn of the century into, into the 20s, they would take onions and press them into the burger for two reasons. One was for flavor, and one was to extend the meat. I mean, sometimes they'd have a burger that would be half onions. People didn't care if they were getting only half the beef because they loved the fr- loved the uh, flavor.
0: George, did you learn anything about burgers that you didn't know before you wrote this book?
2: Mmm. That's a great question. Oh, but mean the, the cookbook. Um, I think, <laughs> that's a good question. No, not really. I mean, I think this was a, actually was a way for me to dispense the information that I've had in my head all these years. In fact, my agent said to me, why have you not written a cookbook yet? And I said, because I'm not a cook. <laughs> and I probably became one. Uh, testing in the kitchen, we learned a lot. Of, we learned a lot about some of these methods. And I learned a lot about one of the ones I, I just wanted to know about it until we started working on the book was the uh, teriyaki burger, the teriyaki burger from Japan, which, of course, you can find all over Hawaii. And that's a very specific method. It involves, you know, marinating the beef in a teriyaki uh, like a teriyaki uh, sauce marinade uh, to make it work. And it's very difficult. It was not easy at all.
0: So when you – so as you're testing these, you know, did you have a guide? Did you have a, a cooking sherpa, or was this just you in a kitchen trying to figure it out?
2: It was me in a kitchen with a kitchen assistant, um, Sydney Ray, trying to figure this out. Uh, and we we had to – we failed a bunch. We actually – we did fail a bunch, and which is fine, because I want to make sure that you know people went through this book and didn't fail themselves. So, I mean, I even now the book's not out yet. The book comes out soon, and um, uh, in its you know I have an advanced copy, and I've actually been using it <laughs> in my own kitchen. So the recipes work. I'm so excited.
1: <laughs> That's pretty dope. What kinds of crazy marketing and promotional ideas and events are you going to be doing to support the release of the book?
2: Um, nothing too nuts. Uh, we're definitely um, going to um, <laughs> borrowing Andrew Zirka's Hard Time Sundays uh, burger truck, and I'm driving it over to uh, Powerhouse Books to do the uh, to do a, a book reading. And uh, we have Nick Solaris coming from Eater to interview me about hamburgers on stage at Powerhouse. And then be able to you know, see a conversation between Nick and I, who was an old old friend of mine. It was way back. He was actually a student of mine at NYU, Burger Course there. And then um, uh, we, after the after the uh, the book signing, you to go outside and have a burger. That's pretty awesome. I think
0: you should take that another step because Andrew's not going to be the one cooking the burgers, right?
2: That's right. I'm not sure who's cooking yet. We're still, uh, we're still, jury's still out who's going to be serving. But we do know it'll be the uh, the Oklahoma onion fried burger. Oh,
0: so upset that I can't go
2: now. I'll, I'll make you one. Don't worry. Thanks, buddy.
0: Um, you one last question about books, um, then we're going to move on to another subject that you're an expert on. Do you have any advice for somebody looking to get uh, a food recipe book published?
2: Hmm. Um, that's a good question. Uh, I mean, I just happen to be already in that side of the business. I would say if they're already in the food business and they're not, they're not making recipes, they probably very easily could. Uh, because you know, for me, I was actually, I was writing, I wrote a guidebook about hamburgers and where to find them, not necessarily about about uh, you know food, the food itself, really about the people and where to find them and where to go eat them. People love, love the book for that reason. They could they can, you know, drive drive themselves across America, eating, you know, every burger in the book they want. People have done that before.
1: Okay, let's let's shift gears just a little bit, because most burger, uh, not the Detroit restaurant, but your Instagram account does very well, um, and you, uh, you know, photos are are a part of everything you do. But taking photos of food, it's common, everybody does it. It's pretty easy, but making them look good on Instagram takes a bit of uh, a bit of finesse. Um, do you have any, I know you have a, a couple of tricks that you use to make your food photos look really good. Could you share some of them with
2: our audience? Absolutely. I mean, first of all, I mean, not everyone can shoot food. That's for sure. I can, I can safely say that I have a talent for doing that only because that's what I've been doing my entire life. I'm a photographer. I'm a photographer first before I'm a hamburger expert. So that always helps. <laughs> and uh, well, some of the, I guess some of the tips I can definitely give for sure is that to, um, uh, if, a, if I mean, first of all, if a photo doesn't look good, don't put it on Instagram. It's as simple as that. Uh, don't put it on there just because you had to report on it and you were there and you you want to make sure everyone knew you were there. I've there's many many burgers that I, the, the light wasn't good enough or the photo was out of focus. I just didn't post it. So don't post something that I would say that that is, this doesn't look uh, fantastic because it'll someone will tell you that looks like shit. <laughs> But some of the tricks I use for sure there's um, some lighting tricks, but without a doubt, if you're looking at the photo and you're correcting it to make sure that it's it has warmth because you know food should be warm. It shouldn't be cold. So if, if it looks bluish, make sure you, you know, increase the warmth and make it pretty. Make it look make it look like something you want to stick your you know stick in your face for sure. That's that's my number one thing. Also, to use um, there's a, there's a certain filter on Instagram where you can. Uh, it's called uh, what's it called now? A uh, shift tilt or swing tilt, whatever it's called, which actually just takes the it, makes it look like you've shot something at a um uh, with a shallow depth of field or if you're using a nice you know, camera phone or even a real camera, make sure you're shooting at, you know, uh, very, shooting very low depth of field so you have a very thin line of focus. That always makes food look food looks great. Food looks great also. Uh, but I've, honestly, the, the lighting is a, the real trick because people screw this up royally. You have to make sure that, first of all, you're shooting from an angle where you're about to attack it. Don't, you know, if you shoot from above, it becomes very specific and very graphic. But you really want to shoot at the angle at which you'd be looking at the food anyway and saying, I want to eat that, which is usually at about, you know, a 45-degree angle down onto the food. That's that's, the, that is the most, uh, that's probably the most shot angle that I use. It really is what I'm about to do. I'm about to eat this thing. Um, I always tell people that to, if you're going to use lighting, one of the best things to do is to not use your flashlight on your phone, but to make sure you use, I would say, use your email. Open up your email account on someone else's phone and have them create a soft light just from the, the white screen of the email at full brightness, and that will actually create a nice, soft glow in the front of the burger that will uh, make it look edible.
0: George, is there a proper position for the, uh, the email screen right above three quarters? What
2: is it? It really depends on what is going on in the room, lighting-wise. Um, I've even done two... <laughs> people know this about me. I, you know, I have what I call gaffers. I have uh, you know, my, my phone gaffers, where the minute I go to take a picture and one or two cameras, camera phones will come out with their email on, and you can even do the best is two-point lighting, honestly. You have two extra cell phones, or two people who want to help you, Use one as a front fill, you know, it's a nice soft fill, about three quarters up, 45 degree angle, onto the, onto the subject. And then use a back fill. You have an even brighter one that is almost just out of frame directly behind the subject, directly behind the burger in this case. You have a nice soft edge and you have a nice soft fill. You have a perfect lighting. In most cases, you'll be able to use the, the fill, the ambient fill from the restaurant um, to make, to use that back that backlight, And then just make sure you're using a 45 degree angle in the front I usually say three-quarter, it's called a three-quarter uh, front, which is where you're off to the one side, right or left, and create a nice, soft glow from not directly on, but from off to one side or the other. All
0: right, so another piece of advice you would give is never eat alone.
2: You can eat alone, but make sure you're prepared to, uh, you know, to not take a photo because you don't have the right lighting. <laughs> All
0: right, George, <laughs> let's, take, let's take this up a notch from, from pictures to film. Uh, when you set out to make a food film, what are the key elements that inspire you or that you're looking for?
2: In a food film, it's really, I honestly, it's about the food, sure, why not, but it's really about the people, because behind every piece of great food is a great person, and if there's no great person behind that food, I couldn't give a crap about, about the food at all. It's really about the people. People, The people make the make the story, and honestly, when you're thinking about food and what you want to eat, you want to make sure you connect to that food, and it's always through the people.
0: Is there a burger that you've eaten that didn't have a story behind it that you just loved?
2: No. I, honestly, if really, to me, it's all about what I call the whole burger experience, and that's not just the burger itself, but it's the place you're eating it, it's the, it's the actual, um, the people who made that burger, and the burger. Those those three things together sort of make up the um, the whole burger experience. I always said if you if you're making um, um, if you try to make a, like a uh, a margarita at home, it'll taste good, but think about how much greater that margarita tastes when you're in Mexico. And you're on the beach, and the sun is setting.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't know. I've never been to Mexico. <laughs> but I take your meaning. Uh, George, what advice would you give to someone who's trying to get a film into the Food Film Fest?
2: Oh, uh, just to keep trying. If you can't get in, that's a funny, that's a funny loaded question because to us, you know, it's we look at trends. We try to, you know, look at trends. We try to explain to people if you don't get into the festival, it's not because you had a shitty film. It's just because, you know, you're not. But that film didn't fit into some program of ours. Uh, we, have, we have a very limited program. I feel bad sometimes. We you know we accept films um, that fit exactly into our programs, and there's no way to know. We don't know what our programs are honestly until we start seeing a lot of films. You know, one year we saw a bunch of films about Japan, food and culture, the Japanese food and culture, and we ended up having a big Japanese event called I Heart Japan. Um, I think that really that drives that whatever the trends are are truly what drives. So right. So I guess a piece of advice would be to look at the trends and see what see if, if there's something there's a trend that you can create. <laughs> people do. Uh, or if you if you know something that's on trend or coming up, then we are all about that.
0: So in other words, if somebody's going to invent the next ramen burger, make sure they also have a
2: documentarian. Exactly. If you're doing something in the food space, you have to shoot everything. Uh, this is, the, this is the whole new thing. You, I mean, if you're doing anything that's new or different, I, you have to be rolling camera on it and doing, doing interviews. Otherwise, I don't know why you're doing it.
1: <laughs> so if you folks are looking for inspiration, Time Out New York just did an April Fool's list of the new food trends in New York City, and they were all absurd. But they're all doable, so that's that's right for the picking.
2: You know, the- say, I don't know, i just, I can't, I cannot see another film about farming. <laughs> we've seen, I we've seen maybe, I'm going to say potentially 500 films on farming in the last 10 years.
1: You know, you you say that, but I was at the Food Film Fest this year, and it made me want to go be a farmer. So those films work.
2: They do work, and you do get a lot of them we choose the best. And we did show, I think, two or three farming films. We had a whole, a whole farming night, I think. Um, so we have to because we get so much incredible content, especially on, on farming. But it's like I can't like, – the one the one film that we just see every, every year is, you know, the guy who leaves the city and builds a farm and is all great. Hey, you know what? That's fantastic. But there's got to be some kind of hook, got to be some kind of angle. We're not looking for, like, you know, race cars and, you know, and, and shootouts. We're looking, you know, like in fireworks. We're just looking for, like, truly original stories.
0: I want to do a race cars and shootouts and gun story about French fries with Brad and submit that. I,
2: I hear you guys love French fries.
0: It is it is a battle. I don't know. They're kind of
1: gross. Brad, <laughs> <Right laughs> I'm with you. No, dude, I, I love French fries. They're my entire
0: life, but I'm trying to get healthy, so they're they're, they're ruining my life a little bit right now
2: add or are loaded with carcinogens. Watch out,
0: when You started out making films, writing books, you know, producing these food events and so on. You know, there wasn't this like deluge of social media. The Twitter, Facebook were like just starting out. But things like Instagram, Pinterest, Snapchat, you know, they didn't even exist. How has uh, social media changed what you do and how you market
2: like your brand? I will tell you one of the what I found completely interesting about Instagram recently. Um, I had to take a little bit of a Instagram. Um, uh, hiatus for a few weeks, about three weeks, and no one really noticed, which is interesting. I had a little personal thing going on in my life. Um, I noticed something very interesting about my food intake during those three weeks because I was not shooting. And this is a very personal thing. Because I wasn't shooting, I was eating whatever the whatever the hell I wanted. I was eating Domino's, and I was eating like you know Fritos. With the, I mean, it was awful. I was eating complete crap, and I realized because I don't care what I'm eating because I'm not going to shoot it. And that's actually, that actually happened to me uh, personally by shooting stuff on Instagram. And I'm trying to show people what they, you know, what I like. And what I like, I think people should also enjoy. I mean, it's a, it's a purely promotional. You know, I went to Fleischer's yesterday because they do great things. I learned, I learned so much in the two hours I was in that place. And I want to make sure everyone knows about that as well. I feel like I'm, I, I'm, I'm one of the people in this world that should definitely dispense that information and make sure people know about these kind of things. But at the same time, I realize that I also—it's very personal. That if I don't, if I don't shoot something, it's probably garbage.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. There was a story that came out a little bit ago um, that I think is relevant to all of us about a woman who ate two burgers a week every week for a, for a story about it in I think Kentucky or or Tennessee, and she was much healthier because she was—it just made her very conscious of what she was eating because she knew that everyone would be seeing it. Um, so I think that's that's probably not such an uncommon thing.
2: It's good to hear. I mean, it makes perfect sense if you think about it. If you're, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm obsessed, a little bit obsessed with Instagram, only because I'm a photographer first, and I love food second. So to me, those two things, and you add Instagram to that, and it's kind of a win-win. And if a lot of people actually want it, are on Instagram who I'm sure they love food, but they just don't, they don't know how to shoot it and really talk about it, or they don't know how to promote what they're really doing, or maybe they don't want to promote it. But it really is a very, very powerful tool, Instagram.
1: Instagram is one thing. But people can see you frequently in the press all over the place, on TV, online, in print. You know, you're you're pretty much the go-to burger guy all over the place. I think people want to know, because a lot of folks are hoping to get into this field, Uh, how do you make these appearances happen? Do you have a publicist, or do these people come to contact you? How does it work?
2: I don't have a publicist. I have an agent. And uh, whenever I have a book going, the publisher usually handles a lot of the marketing and PR. So it all depends on what I'm promoting. If I'm, if I'm in between books and I'm not promoting anything, or if I'm doing a television show, my television show right now, it's funny, it's it's not airing anymore in the U.S., but it's, it's airing right now in Venezuela. So I'm big in Venezuela. And because of that, the, you know, the Food Network, um, uh, their, their uh, South uh, South American uh, PR firm will contact me. They just, we just did a piece in Esquire, Esquire, Colombia. Uh, and now I'm big in Colombia. <laughs> so it really depends on what's going on with my promotion. In most most cases, it's handled by the people that are Actually, that that have whatever that piece of media it is that I have, whether it's a television show, the cookbook now, it uh, really depends.
0: So this thing relevant, you're like just keep putting stuff out, keep doing things.
2: Every day, every single day. I mean, I I've, I I'm on Instagram every day, obviously, to make sure people. You no, know, I to make sure I'm eating well. <laughs> uh, but also, I really I I love being in the food space. It just gets b- bigger and better every single day. We're well, all getting seven emails today about come try my burger or come uh, give a for our facility, whatever, and I, I'll pretty much, you know, make use of all those uh, invites for sure.
0: Okay, George, I think you have just provided the, the perfect segue there. So, you know, normally we end our show by asking the same three questions, but since you've kind of already given some amazing advice, uh, and we know that you know all that there is to know about burgers, we're going to switch it up instead today. Today, we're going to have a burger speed round, so I'm going to ask a question, Brad's going to ask a question, we'll just go one into another. Are you Ready. Ready. All right. What is your favorite burger from childhood?
2: <laughs> That's a. T- I don't have one.
0: <laughs> there's no. There's no one burger that changed the world of George Moats.
2: No. I, you, honestly, you, you, don't have, you don't have an origin burger. There is. Well, okay. There's two different sizes. There's an origin burger. It's the Apple Pan in uh, L. A. Was my was the first burger that actually turned my brain around. About 22 years old. That just said to me, oh, you know, this is there's definitely something much larger than just the hamburger itself, and uh, that's made of fresh ground beef, and it's wonderful.
1: Okay, what is the best old? That's L.A. So, what's the best old school burger in New York City?
2: Mm, I don't really have one. I don't, you know, it's funny. I mean, I don't, um, I don't play favorites ever. So it's hard for me to answer that question because then it'll change, or something will go, you know, south and. Who knows? Uh, so I really don't play, I don't play those that game. <laughs> just, give, <laughs>
0: just give us, a, give us a, what's a great old school burger
2: in New York. City? One of my um, go to burgers forever was the Corner Bistro, but it's hit or miss. You know, it is without a doubt hit or miss depending on what time the day you go there. You know, depending on how drunk you are. You know, the, the, the taste actually changes with the, your inebriation. All right,
0: George, name one underrated burger in New York City.
2: Well, one? I get one. That's it. <laughs> uh, you, <laughs> you know don't what,
0: man. This is killing me. This is speed round, George.
2: It's I know. Not I'm sorry. <laughs> One underrated burger. I mean, oh wow, geez, I don't even know how to. Be, how do you? How do you do that? I think one of the most underrated dry aged burgers right now, because everyone's talking about dry aging and burgers, and I think that I think one of the the, the probably the most underrated dry aged burger right now, which is about to change, is the uh, Burger at Beatrice Inn, the 45 day dry aged burger, at Beatrice Inn, Chef Angie Mar. People talk about Manetta, 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 and it's a good burger. I gotta tell you, it's a great burger. But you know what? Why well, come? No one's talking about uh, talking about Angie's burger.
0: Probably because it's like forty five dollars. But
1: <laughs> so anyway, that but that's that's still a good segue to the next question, which is: You can get any type of burger in New York City. So, what style of burger is missing or unrepresented in this town?
2: Ooh, wow. Ooh. I mean, New York City has everything as far as I'm concerned. They have every burger. Um, you're never gonna find the burger that uh, you know the that really exists in the Midwest or the, you know, the, the far west or the south. You're not going to find those. You're not going to find a really really good pimento cheeseburger, for example, you know, in New York City. There are a couple of green chili cheeseburgers that are good, but they're not great. Um, it's very hard, but you're going to find some kind of representation of every burger in America and the world here.
0: there's need two great sliders in New Jersey.
2: Uh, white Rose and Linden, for sure. Without a doubt. I could say one. That's it. I, I can't, you know, I'm not, you know, I love white manna. But they're hit or miss. Honestly, um, it's really the white rose and linen that is on all the time.
1: All right, name one burger joint that no longer exists that you could bring. If you could bring it back, you would.
2: Oh my God, that's pretty easy. I would say the um, the Wheelin' Drive In of Sedalia, Missouri, home of the Goober Burger, which is covered with peanut peanut butter. Oh man,
0: I want a Goober Burger, George. If you could magically transport to anywhere in the world right now, what would be the first burger you would go get? Wow,
2: anywhere in the world. Wow, jeez! I'd probably go to um, I'd probably go to Japan to get a teriyaki burger.
1: When you are cooking at home or for friends, what type of ground beef would you use?
2: Unquestionably, 80-20, chuck.
0: So no, no, no blend, no prime, no wagyu, just 80-20, chuck.
2: I think all that stuff is is uh, hooey.
0: <laughs> George, what's the best cheese to put on a burger? <laughs>
2: You know, I I will say that American cheese is the best, but it's really not. I mean, I love American cheese, and it's a great standard. But and you know this too, Rev. The best cheese on a burger is uh, is a cold uh, what's it called? Cold pack uh, cheddar spread.
0: You're not going to use the other name.
2: You mean Merck's cheddar?
0: Oh, so good.
2: So good. I could I could I could I could spread it on myself.
1: <laughs> All right, I want to get away from that question. Uh, <laughs> Best kind of onions to put on a burger?
2: Oh, unquestionably um, cooked Vidalia. I love Vidalia because it's sweet, and when you cook Vidalia, obviously the sugar content starts to caramelize a lot faster and easier uh, because of you know, because it's Vidalia.
0: What's the deal with
2: ketchup? Uh, ketchup, it, ketchup has its place, and not definitely not near a burger. Um, there's only one time that ketchup belongs. Uh, <laughs> Um, on a burger, if it's mixed into a barbecue sauce, which is what barbecue sauce basically is, is you know, it's is a spicy ketchup, or if it is um, uh, actually put in some kind of, like, secret special sauce with mayonnaise. Uh, but even that kind of stuff, I don't think it's necessary for a burger. To me, you know, the number one condiment is burger grease. is like, burger beef fat is really the best condiment for a hamburger.
1: Okay, George, your life is going to end tonight. What's your last burger?
2: <laughs> I wouldn't be a burger. I'd go for my favorite sandwich, which is a... um. Uh, bacon mayo on toast.
0: Says the
1: burger expert.
0: Yeah. Wow, that is not the answer I expected at all.
2: Love a bacon mayo. It, it is it is my ultimate comfort food outside of like spaghetti and meatballs. Honestly, it's the bacon, crispy bacon, uh, on a on on white toast with mayonnaise. It's unbelievable.
0: Is that something you do at home or do you got a place you
2: like to go for that? No, no I don't know I don't know who does that. I have to do it at home. <laughs> <laughs> It's too, it's, too, it's too perverted to, like, put in a restaurant, you know.
0: <laughs> I don't know. I think I want to open a restaurant right now where we only serve fried onions and bacon mayo sandwiches. Hi, <laughs> right, what do you have on the side of that burger? Oh, we have cheddar spread and grease.
2: Sounds <laughs> <That was> appetizing.
0: <laughs> awesome, George. Well, it's been super fun having you on the show today and a real, real pleasure. Uh, and good luck with, with the uh, release of the book. Where can, the, where can people find out more about you?
2: Uh, GeorgeMotes.com is my big portal that leads to everything else.
0: And it's uh, Motesberger on Instagram, Motesberger on Twitter. And uh, you, know, you can find George's books on Amazon. You can go find out more at OvereasyFilms.com. George, you're all, you're all over the internet. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of Like, Bite, and Share. We hope you found today's interview insightful. If you didn't get a chance to write down everything, no worries. We take the show notes for you. Go to schweidandsons.com slash podcast to find them. If you enjoy the show, we ask for one favor, and that's please give us a rating in iTunes. That helps us to spread the word to others who might find this valuable like you do. If you haven't subscribed to the show yet, please subscribe on your favorite podcast player so you don't miss a future episode
2: featuring helpful tips from other professionals in the food marketing business. Stay hungry.